and I think, you know, on a more sort of broader, long-term scale, talking to your local elected officials and decision makers and, you know, telling them that green infrastructure is important to you or that stormwater management is important to you. If your basement has flooded or your neighbor's basement has flooded or people you know, if you've been impacted by stormwater, that's a story that you should tell to your white any of your elected officials so that they know that their constituents are being impacted because at the end of the day, they're making decisions about where money is being spent. And if they know that enough people are concerned about the stormwater issues, then you know they'll be more inclined to prioritize that. Hello and welcome to Lakes Chat. I'm your host, Jennifer Caddick with the Alliance for the Great Lakes. In today's episode, we're talking with Alexandra Novak, the Alliance's community planning manager based in Detroit. We're chatting with Alex about green infrastructure, what it is, how it can help improve our Great Lakes communities, and what needs to be done to get more green infrastructure in our neighborhoods. Welcome, Alex. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jen. Happy to be here. So let's start off, for those who don't know, what is green infrastructure? So green infrastructure is... Uh, really a natural way of mimicking how water moves through the environment. Um, We might traditionally think of infrastructure as being a hard built thing and green infrastructure is a way of truly greening it using plants and soil and natural materials to um, yeah, just mimic what would happen if the cement weren't there to obstruct the water. For example, that's raining uh, from the sky. Gotcha. And so what kinds of problems can green infrastructure help solve in urban areas? Well, there are several problems that it um, ends up solving if, if you design it and build it in, in a really, uh, you know, holistic way. But the main problem that green infrastructure can help solve is really related to water pollution and water quality. And so when we install green infrastructure, it captures stormwater that's running off of hard surfaces and on site it can filter pollutants and waste out of that stormwater before it even gets to a pipe or a treatment plant. Um, So it's kind of doing some of the work of the treatment plant on site. And so that obviously helps water quality, um, you know, immediately, but it can also capture larger volumes of that water and hold it, hold on to it before and keep it out of the system. So if we're having really, really extreme heavy rains, that is more than the system can handle. The green infrastructure can direct that water into a holding area, hang on to it until the system is done processing the heavy volumes of water and then, and then slowly put it back into our, our treatment system to go to the treatment plant and then be um, uh, directed back into the nearest body of water. Um, So those are kind of the two main ways that it addresses water quality. And in some cases, you can also reduce the risk for localized flooding using green infrastructure. So sometimes like street flooding can be redirected in that same way and held offsite um, if there's a lot of water that the system can't handle. But ultimately, flooding really needs to be addressed by system-wide improvements. It can't be addressed just with green infrastructure. And a lot of times the same could be said for um, the larger volume management and water quality improvement. 
But overall, I will say that green infrastructure can solve a lot of problems beyond stormwater, and it really just makes the place a lot more resilient to extreme weather events that we've been seeing a lot more of lately. Got it. And so help us also understand this idea of gray infrastructure. So green infrastructure, and you said you know, it, it can't solve all of our stormwater problems in, in Great Lakes cities. And so you know, my understanding is it has to work in sort of um, tandem with gray infrastructure. So what's gray infrastructure and how do these two things work together? Yeah, so gray infrastructure is really the traditional way that we are used to seeing and experiencing our water being managed. So it mostly exists underground, out of sight, and it's a system of pipes and tunnels and drains that channel our water to direct it to a treatment plant where it's treated and then released back into a water body. So that's the way that you know, pretty much all of our cities and urbanized environments are built out. In older cities like Detroit, Chicago, a lot of Midwestern cities, we have a system that combines that stormwater with our sewage water into the same pipe. And that all has to go to a treatment plant so that it doesn't get dis, um, discharged into a, a body, a water body of water. Um, green infrastructure kind of helps out gray infrastructure by slowing down that water and giving the water a chance to stay in the environment in which it lands. So it does some of the filtration work beforehand, but it really um, just acts as a supporter to the gray infrastructure system. Um, and really, I think the, the biggest benefit of the green infrastructure is that it brings that investment to the surface because all the pipes and tunnels are below ground and we can't see them doing their job as important as it is. But the green infrastructure give us a chance to gives us a chance to see that investment brought to the surface and gives it an opportunity to provide a significant other benefits beyond just managing the stormwater, which is all that gray infrastructure really does. Got it. And so give us help us sort of fill out a little picture in our minds. Can you give us a couple examples of green infrastructure in action and how it helps, you know, sort of those specific applications help the environment and our communities? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of different tools that are employed um, that could be considered green infrastructure, even you know, if you're driving down the road and there's a drain on the side of the road, a grassy drain where the water's channeled to, you know, that's kind of green and gray mixed together. But um, I I'm going to use two examples from Detroit because that's where I obviously do this work. And one example is kind of a smaller scale um, rain garden, which is um, a, a grouping of plantings that sits below grade. So the water is captured from the street where it's um, where it's graded down to run into this rain garden where the plants are and catches it in this little basin. And uh, all the plants are able to take up that water. It soaks into the soil. It gets it off the street and keeps it out of the, the system. And um, this rain garden is applied in the context of a commercial corridor, a really dense walkable commercial corridor um, on Livernoy Avenue. It's uh, also called the Avenue of Fashion. And so there's a lot of businesses, restaurants, stores, a lot of activity. And this has been a really great addition to this corridor because it's providing trees and flowers and native plants, which is obviously 
really beautiful, provides shade, and it also um, provides um, some habitat for pollinators to um, live in and, and enjoy. And so that's kind of a small scale, really urban example. A bigger example of that is the Chandler Park marshland, which is on the east side of Detroit. And that is a much larger, more um, native plant pollinator habitat style project where they installed and constructed um, a marsh, a pond, and planted all around it um, to create habitats for specific local species and um, you know, it, it's a much larger capacity project because it's within Chandler Park and it can hold um, up to 2.5 million gallons. So it's a big asset for that neighborhood um, to capture all of that rain and keep it out of the system when we have big events. So that's a good example of um, a project that's more large scale and really tailored towards the environmental and social benefits of wildlife and pollinators. That, and you touched on this a little bit, but I want to learn a little bit more. It sounds like these projects can provide a variety of benefits, you know, so they're helping out water quality because they're not leading to sewage overflows during those really heavy rain events because they're holding that water a little bit to give the wastewater treatment plants time to process them. It's potentially helping a little bit with, you know, some of the community flooding, you know, I know basement backups are a big problem in some of our cities. Um, but it sounds like they're also providing a lot of community benefits, you know, just greenery and, and pollinators. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a really, like I said, so many more benefits that can be achieved by using green infrastructure um, as opposed to just doing gray infrastructure, which stays underground. And we really tend to think of these benefits in three buckets. And the first one being environmental, which is obvious, right? We're managing the stormwater, we're cleaning up the stormwater. But when we're adding plants to these built environments, we're also absorbing carbon emissions and improving air quality. We're providing more shade. And by providing, by installing plant material and removing hard surfaces, that can also reduce. The, the temperature, the heat island, which is a wonky technical term, but the urban heat island, it uh, exasperates the feeling of heat because all of the hard built surfaces hang on to that heat and make it even hotter than it would otherwise be. So plants can help reduce how hot an area feels. Um, and then of course, like, like we were talking about um, supporting pollinators and, and habitat for wildlife that might otherwise have uh, gone away. Like we have pheasants in Detroit and, and they're back. They're everywhere. Wow. You hear them, you see them and providing habitats for species like that can be um, a really wonderful, magical thing for a lot of people. Um, and so talking about people, the social benefits are also huge. The beautification of communities alone, um, cities like Detroit have had specifically in the roadways, you know, a lot of disinvestment and lack of investment in improving the infrastructure. So by seeing that investment happening on the streets, in the shop quarters that we're shopping in, um, that can really build people's spirits up and make people, you know, want to go out and enjoy the assets in their community. Um, it makes it, you know, more enjoyable to be there. And so that encourages people to use public spaces more, whether it's just for recreation or for exercise. We have 
some bike lanes and some, you know, if, if we're putting projects in a park, there's a lot of recreational opportunities that can attract people and that can improve people's physical health as well as their mental health. And that's a really important thing um, to consider as a benefit of these, of these projects, because really at the end of the day, they are for people just as much as they are for the environment. Um, and so the there's also economic benefits, and this is usually the drivers, is usually what people care about the most, the decision makers. And green infrastructure, like I said, it's kind of part of the system. It kind of starts that treatment process before it gets to the treatment plant. And so it can improve the overall operations and efficiency of our water infrastructure system because it is doing some of the work of the treatment plant and slowing down the water so that the treatment plant has time to get through all of the volume that it has to. Um, in some areas, like if you're putting green infrastructure in commercial corridors, you can design the plants and the trees to reduce energy demands on buildings, which in some, um, you know, uh, climates can be really, really important and valuable, um, specifically in like hotter desert climates. Um, and then overall, just making improvements in commercial corridors can help support businesses, um, not only just people patronizing them, but the longevity of, of their, of their business. Yeah. So this all sounds like win-win all around, right? We're helping improve water quality. We're improving, uh, you know, uh, wildlife opportunities in our urban areas. We've got, uh, it's just beautiful, right? Everybody likes trees and pretty flowers in their neighborhood. Um, you know, there are economic benefits. So why aren't we seeing more green infrastructure? Um, why isn't it being used more broadly in our communities around the Great Lakes region? And, you know, what are some of the barriers to implementing green infrastructure? Yeah, it, it is a newer technology. So I think there's a learning curve for, for both the, the private industry who might be the ones designing and um, building these, these projects, um, but also for the, the units of government who might be responsible for building them or who might be building them in, in their communities. Um, so I think there's been a learning curve, but um, overall, it always comes down to money. I mean, you know, governments are pressed to spend all of the resources that they have on the things that are the most important and the most urgent. And, you know, stormwater is definitely important and urgent, especially when it's flooding people's basements. But um, green infrastructure specifically, I don't think comes to the surface of importance as far as the priorities of governments go. So um, it's been important to for us in our education efforts to um, really find opportunities for dedicated funding sources within the government and advocate for that um, because it's it's a hard thing to achieve and um, and that's really going to be sort of the key that unlocks these projects being built is is having a dedicated stream of funding rather than you know a grant or like a, a temporary um, funding opportunity and sort of hand in hand with that is the maintenance issue, which is, you know, maintenance of green infrastructure is different than maintenance of gray infrastructure pipes and tunnels. And while utilities have budgets to maintain their gray infrastructure, 
they don't really know. Again, it's that learning curve. They're not really sure what it takes. It takes different people. It takes different amounts of money, different frequencies. And so figuring out the, what's needed for maintenance and how to fund that maintenance um, has also been a barrier. Um, and I think that there's a lot of cities doing interesting work to try to address that, like partnering with community organizations and providing funding to them. Uh, and there's, I think, a really big workforce development opportunity within that. Um, but that is certainly a cost prohibitive challenge for a lot of, for really every, every city that I've come across who's doing green infrastructure work. Yeah, it sounds like there's, it's just a fundamental change in sort of the playbook that our communities use, you know, like once you have government knowing how to put in that gray infrastructure, the pipes and pave it over and be done with it. It's just a matter of really changing how, which I, I could understand, you know, it takes a long time to change all the equipment and the staffing and the training. It sounds like a, a big, um, a big challenge for our communities. Yeah, definitely. The status quo is the way it is for a reason, right? And yeah, these, these utilities and, and budgets have been built for a long time. And might I add, have been built and designed to support a system that is not only designed for outdated climate numbers, like how much rain we can expect in a year, but also they've been just maintaining the system that hasn't received federal investment at any significant rate since the 70s. So it's a system that is maintaining a status quo that is not going to uh, continue to work and needs to be updated. So green infrastructure really needs to be a part of that um, update in that conversation. So it sounds like there's a lot that government agencies, both elected officials or government agencies can be doing from the federal government all the way down to our local governments. Um, so what would your recommendations be? You know, what should those various levels of government be doing to increase green infrastructure in our communities? Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of things. And I think it's it's different at each level of government. Um so I, I won't touch on all of them, but overall, I think that creating dedicated streams of funding and programs that you know support and require the construction and implementation of green infrastructure um, from a top down, from federal to state to local, that can be really powerful. And um, you know, like I said, grant funding isn't going to cut it. We need dedicated streams of funding. Um, coming from the federal and state government to support the local communities in, in building um, this type of infrastructure. And I think it's also important to consider not just taking a, a not just using a stormwater lens on those programs and those streams of funding, because there are so many benefits. I mean, some of the projects that are being built in Detroit are using funding from different, you know, from planning pots of money and housing pots of money. And there's so many different crossovers that can really be, they can all benefit in one way or another, some in larger ways from more green infrastructure across the city um, that, you know, those, those sectors should all be invested in the same way. It shouldn't all be dependent on the water and utility industry. Um, so I think that's really easier said than done, maybe, because our systems, our government systems are not really built to 
across the silos. Um, but that is going to be a really important um, collaboration point moving forward. And I think it'll open up a lot of opportunities. Um, and I kind of already mentioned, but you know, using policy to require governments to do this work, that's been the motivator in Detroit and a lot of cities. Um, the EPA or the state environmental agencies requiring utilities to do a certain amount of green infrastructure work as part of their um, water infrastructure system improvements. And that has gotten us to where we are today. So more policy like that, um, which requires these improvements to be made. And you know, I'm also thinking about the private sector here, you know, just like obviously, you know, the, the public sector, our governments are worrying about all the roads and all those kinds of things. But the, um, I'm thinking of all of those big grocery store parking lots or the big corporate office complexes or factories that have all of that, you know, whether it's, um, you know, their roofs and, um, you know, parking lots and roads and all those things. Is there a role for the private sector to play here, too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's in some cities, that is the priority and the focus. Um, there are a lot of times policy uh, requirements. We have one here in Detroit, a stormwater management policy, which requires any um, development over a certain size. I think it's a half acre. Uh, it requires them to manage their stormwater on site. And so they can either do that with green or gray infrastructure. And um, I think if they don't, they pay into, um, you know, a pot of money um, in lieu of, of making those, making those stormwater improvements for their site. And so if, if cities shift more towards requiring the private sector to meet a certain standard, then, you know, the private sector will have to be sort of forced to comply, which is a lot of times how it goes. But I know there are a lot of actors that, um, that are interested in those environmental benefits, regardless of, you know, any regulations or requirements that force them into it. And uh, certainly, you know, building green infrastructure, there are a lot of times grant opportunities from either your local utility or a regional utility um, to partner, to, to share some of those costs, which is great because the costs can be pretty, pretty high if you're doing a big project. Um, but also, um, you know, just just even the simple depaving and and getting rid of those large parking lots if you don't use all of it. Um, some of those smaller uh, smaller changes can make a big difference. You know, planting trees. We're trying. Every city needs more tree canopy, and that can beautify a city while also providing stormwater benefits. So, um, you know, simple changes like that can can make a big difference. I think that's a great point. The idea, you know, we talked about some big project examples, but you can just start by planting some trees and reducing a little bit of your parking lot and then start to grow into some of these bigger, more complicated projects. So it sounds like there's a almost kind of a spectrum of, of what these projects could look like. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in, in Detroit and many cities, we are utility charges for the stormwater that runs off your property. So sometimes there are pra certain practices that they uh, recommend you put in in order to manage that stormwater and give you a credit on your bill. So they're charging you less for the drainage if you're managing it in one of their preferred ways. 
And unfortunately, trees are not usually one of those one of those approved methods because they're kind of hard to to gauge how much water they're managing. Um, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't still be planting them anyway. But um, yeah, look at look at whatever the the util- local utility guide is for some um, you know preferred standard best standard practices that they require and recommend. Um, a lot of times you'll see rain gardens and planting native plants. Um, but there's, yeah, a lot of good resources out there for, you know, the private sector, as well as just individual homeowners to, um, build a rain garden or plant some trees or get free trees planted in your yard. I mean, there's, there's a lot of great programs out there trying to make these improvements. You know, I'll also note, um, we'll put on the Lakes Chat webpage, greatlakes.org slash Lakes Chat. You have a couple of case studies that you had produced a while ago that are pretty short um, and easy to understand. But I think that gives a good example of some of the variety of these kinds of projects and the benefits that came along with them. Um, so, yeah. The case studies are a little dense, but um, (laughs) I highly recommend a skim, (laughs) especially if you live in one of the cities that we studied. We we looked at Milwaukee, we looked at Cleveland, uh, we looked at Philadelphia and Denver um, and Minneapolis. Uh, They're all doing great work, very different work. Um, But kind of like I said, there's a lot of opportunities for for grants from some of the utilities in in those areas and partnership opportunities and resources for yeah different recommended types of green infrastructure and um, you know even probably even plant lists recommendations for what types of plants to be planting in your in your yard. And so, what can are there things that individual individuals can do? You know, I'm thinking of our listeners here. You know, how can they either a get involved to encourage more green infrastructure in their neighborhoods in their city, um, and you know, what could they maybe do on their own property to get started? Yeah, there's a lot of great partners that we work with who provide a lot of those uh, direct, you know, resources and learning opportunities here in Detroit. Uh, some of our partners include Friends of the Rouge, uh, in reference to the Rouge River, which is uh, our main river besides the Detroit River in Detroit, which um, you know is contaminated with combined sewer overflow and all kinds of pollution. So they do a lot of great work to mitigate those impacts. They have a Rain Gardens to the Rescue program that they um, that they do with the Sierra Club of Michigan, another one of our great partners. And uh, they have workshops all the time and all kinds of resources. And I think they have rain, rain barrel workshops as well. So there's a lot of great organizations. And I'm sure there's also similar organizations in Chicago and in the Cleveland area and all the other places that we work across the region. But um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you can do on your own, on your own property, but there's also, you know, tree plantings and community opportunities for you to go plant some plants at a local church or in a local park and, you know, build rain gardens and learn how to do it. Um, with some experts and with some neighbors and with your community and, you know, contribute to making your community more resilient because yeah, your yard is important, but also the park and the, the street and, you know, all of the, all of the areas that can be improved to manage stormwater is going to benefit you at the end of the day. Um, 
And I think, you know, on a more sort of broader, long-term scale, talking to your local elected officials and decision makers and, you know, telling them that green infrastructure is important to you or that stormwater management is important to you. If your basement has flooded or your neighbor's basement has flooded or people you know, if you've been impacted by stormwater, that's a story that you should tell to your one any of your elected officials so that they know that their constituents are being impacted because at the end of the day, they're making decisions about where money is being spent. And if they know that enough people are concerned about the stormwater issues, then, you know, they'll be more inclined to prioritize that. So yeah, pushing for more policies for stormwater and, and more funding for stormwater, um, what else? Follow the Alliance. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things we've talked about a little bit over time is, yeah, you know, I think sometimes people think that their local city council person or alderman or whatever it is in your community doesn't have a lot of power, you know, because some of this funding has to come from the federal government, but they can be really important advocates up, right? You know, talking to, um, you know, whether it's their senators or other uh, agencies at the federal level. So, um, you know, I think that's great advice to just if you're having a stormwater issue and, and want your community to have more of this green infrastructure, to talk to your local elected officials. Um, they might, you know, to educate them and so that they can help spread the word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are a resource to other elected officials above them. And so, you know, any information you give to them, you're giving them ammo to take to the next level to fight the fight. So if you want them to be an advocate for you, give them information and reasons and arguments why, why they should be spending their time and energy, um, you know, fighting that fight for you at the state or federal, sometimes federal level. Um, they get into rooms that we can't get into. They are handed microphones that we are not handed and, you know, giving them the right information can make all the difference. Um, and I've, and I've seen that happen. So I, it's, it's real and it works and you just got to get out there and, and bring your neighbors and bring your family and bring your friends and be loud about it because that's what democracy is all about. That's great. Well, thanks so much, Alex. And for our listeners, we'll put on our webpage, greatlakes.org slash lakeschat, um, some of the resources that she mentioned, um, those case studies and links to a couple of groups around the region that do a lot of um, help individuals uh, put some of this great infrastructure on their own properties. So thank you so much, Alex, for taking the time to chat with us today. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Jen. I appreciate you inviting me. It's great to great to talk about this stuff with more than just the Detroiters that I talk about it with. Thank you for listening. On our website, greatlakes.org slash lakeschat, you'll find links to more information about the topics that we talked about today. And you can also sign up for updates to stay in the know about Great Lakes issues and opportunities to get involved. Special thank you to my colleague, Michelle Farley, who produces this podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you'll know when the next episode drops. Talk to you next week.